we do this thing where we grab the shower head and spray it in each other's ears or eyes and that's what's happening in our shower so that sounds very strange it's stupid so (laughs) but i also since we're in the shower together i'm like i'm gonna shave because you can see all this body right (laughs) happening right now so i'm just at least you know i'm taking care of it yeah no i don't even do that because kane kane loves hair clearly (laughs) and he's the only one that peeps in on my showers so he's like hey mom be more like me but i shaved it's fine anyone who's asking get in line i shaved I had recorded this or we had recorded this correctly and somehow Cassie's part got deleted. I don't know. I couldn't go back and fix it because I don't know how to do anything. So welcome to the podcast. And it's just going to start randomly when I start talking in the middle of the original introduction that I had recorded. But yeah, this is Texas 1031 true crime podcast, all the things that Cassie says and so on and so forth or whatever yeah (laughs) uh if you guys want to visit our website it is texas1031podcast.com there you'll find all the links to our social media as well as links to listen to us on itunes stitcher and soundcloud and remember the name of our website and social media accounts have no dashes no spaces no capitalizations or numbers just all spelled out if we ever get cool enough maybe that can be our shirt yay that that would be cool probably not maybe if we decide to do patreon shit no, that's so much to do. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, if you guys are on iTunes, please rate, review, and subscribe. So every episode, we're going to bring you two murder cases. Tonight, we have one in Austin, and the other is in San Antonio. So we really hope you guys enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> it is episode 14. 14. Nothing special about that. Uh, it's divisible by seven. That's Math. I keep thinking about it. Well, that's Just really how weird. How even that number is. That's really weird that you say that because I feel like I have this super strange problem. Like you know how I do the forensic files thing with like the uh, the names, and then how I was like, oh, one three, our thirteenth episode is on January the third, and blah blah blah. <laughs> and it's like if we recorded the fourteenth episode yesterday, oh, fourteenth, dang it. And I feel like I catch myself doing that all the time with like I don't know, just being like really OCD about that kind of thing. You know what I mean? It, it feels so much better when they yeah, do happen to line it? up. Yeah, it really does. It's yeah. like, I don't know. It well, does feel better. It's like watching a dog get groomed. <laughs> that always is. It's very, <laughs> except when they're so scared. <laughs> yeah, but it's still, it's very gratifying it to see gratifying. that hair come off. You have me now. Like, I was listening to, I think it happened in two separate episodes of True Crime Garage this mm-hmm. week, where a name was said, and I was like, forensic files, out loud to myself. So Who was it, the, the 500 pound guy? Uh-huh. There was definitely one in that, and I think I was listening, I think I uh, went all the way back, um, mom, 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 who did I just finish? Gacy. They did oh, Gacy. Oh, okay, okay. And there was someone in Gacy, too, that was Probably. like super there weird. Is. There always is. I kept mm-hmm. wanting to say Joe like methamphetamine because <laughs> his last name was joe metheny oh that's right that's right that does yeah. make sense and he was like i'm on all kinds of drugs so and I just yeah thought, yeah 
Did you see the picture they posted? Oh, it was disgusting. Ugh. And then I looked up pictures of him, like, because they were like, he's so scary. Who would buy food from him? And I was like, all right, that one photo is disgusting. Yeah. But I'm going to look up other photos of him. And he was like, there's a shirtless picture of him. And it don't, don't do it. Mm. Don't. Oh, wait. Is it the one of him sitting in the chair? Yes. Like, with his belly? Yeah. yeah I, I still And it. there's like a person in front of him. And I'm like, what's happening? Yeah. It's, why are you? In a picture yeah. with someone. Why is someone taking pictures of you? Like, how do people like you? I don't know. You're a serial killer. I didn't know what to think about him, but we can. I don't know. Yeah. It was very, it was very like uh, Ed Kemper, mm-hmm. you know? Like, are you spinning these tales mm-hmm. because you're spinning them or do you just, or really, you like, just talk? literally. You want to be notoriety? Notarized. Sure. Noticed. Thank you. Um, so, speaking of math, yeah. school starts this week. Yay, Hannah. Woohoo. But I texted you earlier today saying it was going to be our educational episode this week because Cassie's case is very educational. Yes. So it's fitting. Mm-hmm. Numbers, things, stuff, history. Do you have any recommendations? Um, <laughs> we talked about a stupid recommendation. Already? Me and you texting. Oh, yes. Um, oh, my God. How did I not type it? You go for it. Um, we're going to recommend Vanderpump Rules. And yes. don't leave. Stay with us on this. Yeah, no. It's kind of amazing take it at face value these people are terrible except for stassi and katie i'm only on season three so my opinion is stassi and katie are everything yeah no it's fine yeah (laughs) um i feel like i was the only one who watched this show when it came out like forever ago and i would try to talk to people about it who i worked with i'm in the service industry so i was like oh yeah you know like people in the service industry watch stuff about the service industry whatever but everyone i talked to they were like huh I had no idea. Like, I always thought I heard Vanderpump Rules, and I was, I thought it was some show kind of like the Kardashians, like Mm -hmm. about a Vanderpump family and like just a rich family. I mean, ish. Kind of, yeah. But I, as soon as she said that it's about bartenders and servers, I was like, oh, I'm giving this a shot. Cause like, it's amazing. Yeah, Yeah. it's, it's great. The one episode where they actually show them, cause I'm sure they have hours of footage of them complaining about guests. The one episode where they showed them like talking about all of Lisa's rich friends mm-hmm. at that party. They were just talking all that mad shit. I was like, oh, brings me back. I yeah. love Takes this show. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I have recommendations. <laughs> I want to recommend Cassie's murder from last week. So I don't have any recommendations besides this one because I thought it was so good. She and I texted multiple days afterwards yes. after like I actually posted the episode and listened back to it. And I was like, holy shit. So many things to talk about. Like, I just, I don't want to spoil it for you. If you haven't listened to it. Go listen. Please do. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's amazing. You will be questioning your life forever about everything in the justice system and, like, women and, like, abusive relationships and just craziness. So. It's really nuts. Yeah. God. Back to the murder podcast, everyone. Sorry about that. Uh, if we don't have anything else to say, I'm sorry about the tangents. Mm. Cassie is first this week. Yep. And get get a mimosa, get in a comfy chair, yes. take your dog on a walk, get ready for things. Get ready for some true crime. Yes. So, um, my is it, is it me this week? It is, okay, yeah. okay. I have to get my notebook. Yes, yes. So this is the case of. David Roland Waters. Um, that's how I did my usual scroll down Murderpedia and pick random names. So that's why I'm saying the case of this guy because this is how I came across this. 
Um, but this is also the story of Madeline Murray O'Hare. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to go through a lot more history. Like she said, this is going to be more educational. Um, there's a lot about this woman, and I did not want to just gloss over her life because I, like, she's like my hero. Um, so <laughs> Madeline Murray O'Hare was born on April 13th, 1919, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to Irish and German parents, Lena and John. Um, she had a younger brother named Irv, and she grew up a... <laughs> Irv. <laughs> Sorry. No offense. I think that was his nickname, too, and I was like, that's good enough. I don't it's care. It's like uh, Irving, I guess, right? I don't think his real name was Irving. It was like, maybe Just that was his middle Irv. name. and Yeah. Oof. I think it was like Leonard or something. That's definitely more German, I guess. Yeah. Whatever. Herb. Pittsburgh-y. Herb. <laughs> um, um, she also grew up a Presbyterian. Um, she married in 1941 and then separated from her husband when they both enlisted to fight in World War II. She served in the Women's Army Corps um, doing cryptology. So, number one, thing? badass. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No Especially idea. during, like, she... They were, she was cracking codes for, like, the German, like, for our soldiers to figure against, out, like... like Japanese or, or not, like, it's against not Pearl the Harbor. Nazis. Okay. I'm yeah. Th- I always think 41, I think Pearl Harbor. No, that is Pearl Harbor. But, like, in World War Two you know, the the Axis was Jap... J- Jap- we're going to edit this out because I just realized how bad I am at history. Actually, I've always known I'm bad at history, but... I'm okay at history, but war stuff has never interested me. No. Dates, mm -hmm. times, humans, no. Nope. Countries, allies, access, things. Yeah. But what she did was try, she was part of a team in the Women's Army Corps that, um, oh, did I say corpse? Yeah, but it's fine. I was like, meh, whatever. Oh, my God. I was going to be an asshole. (laughs) So she was cracking codes, you know, secret military codes. Um, She met a married man while she was in the service who refused to divorce his wife because he was a devout Roman Catholic. Um, But she divorced her husband and adopted this married dude's last name, Murray, and then gave birth to his son. Um, The son's name is William J. Murray III, nicknamed Bill, and he was born May 25th, 1946. Um, After she left the forces... Oh, and there was a little excerpt about her, like, maybe defecting to the Soviets. <laughs> but cool. she didn't do that. So, But she was kind of just, like, doing her own thing. Badass. Um, she graduated from Ashland University with her bachelor's in 1949. And then she gave birth to a second son, John Garth Murray, on November 16th, 1954. Um, that was fathered by a different boyfriend. Um, so she was a free agent. Slutting it up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then in 1960, she sued the Baltimore City public school system, saying that it was unconstitutional for her son to be required to participate in Bible readings during school. Her son's refusal resulted in bullying, um, which was condoned by his teachers. The, um, this case was consolidated with another case against the Abington School District versus um, Shemp. Um, and this caused both of those cases, once consolidated, to reach the Supreme Court in 1963. The court ruled 8 to 1 in favor to ban mandatory Bible, Bible verse citation in public schools. Um, this, this earned her the reputation as the most hated woman in America. Um, she got death tra- threats. People were 
pissed at her and you know she was just the worst person ever a heathen for oh, taking prayer and or not prayer prayer was already um two years prior to this ruled unconstitutional um but scripture readings it's like the same freaking thing so it's a public i'm sorry yeah it's a public school it's not a private school like exactly. you can do what you want well now because of because of her because of madeline yeah um she also tried to sue nasa because of the apollo 8 genesis reading um but that was thrown out she appeared on the phil donahue show a few times in the late 60s to spread her message of atheism um and by message i don't mean like a sermon just to tell people what it is what it means and why she was fighting for separation of church and state um and she debated preachers on there she moved to austin texas in 1963 um she moved from baltimore where she was living her and her two sons were living with their um grandparents so her parents they moved to austin in 1963 because she was receiving death threats violent threats um against her and her family her son's kitten was strangled by a neighbor everyone basically burn the witch get her out yes i don't want to wait till the end to ask you this Mm -hmm. you would think texas versus maryland that's what brennan said you know yeah like yeah bible belt versus Mm -hmm. the highest crime city in the country (laughs) because whatever that has nothing to do with it but you know what i'm saying yeah why did she choose do you know did she ever state why she chose austin um no i i think there was something there was a little excerpt um that i didn't think mattered of her it's kind of cool um her oldest son bill's girlfriend who later later mothered her granddaughter robin um she madeline got she assaulted a few cops who were going after mm-hmm. her soon to be kind of like daughter-in-law and she fled to honolulu during this time okay. and then went to austin okay that was all kind of fuzzy i didn't feel like delving into it because honestly this woman has so much shit going on in her life like everything is cool and we could go forever talking about all the cool stuff she did because when she moved there she founded the american atheists okay um and that is is still today and was then a nationwide movement to defend civil rights of non-believers. Um, they work for separation of church and state, and they try to uphold First Amendment issues. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. I that definitely makes more sense than... Yeah, so if she might have been... I mean, on listening to some of her interviews and, like, some of the things she did, she mm-hmm. might have did that on purpose just as a, Damn, like, what a big G. middle finger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> big middle finger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she was the faith... Face of U.S. United States atheism in the 60s and 70s. Um, like I said, she continued throughout her life receiving multiple death threats and harassment. Um, she started a radio show and hosted a cable TV show called American Atheist Forum and continued to be a voice for atheism throughout her life. Um, she kept suing. The list of lawsuits that she um, you know, enacted were at least 10 to 15 long. That was just on Wikipedia. Um she stayed politically active. She endorsed certain candidates. Um, some of this led to some like weird, nefarious stuff, mm-hmm. but I won't go too much into that because I love her so much. Um, and she kept giving interviews throughout her life. Um, and she was also a self-described militant feminist. Jeez. I know. Sir, sponsor. Sir, mascot. I, I know. In the <laughs> 80s, while she was still active um, doing all of her 
interviews, doing her radio show and stuff. Her second son, her youngest son, John, succeeded her as leader of the American Atheists. Um, some chapters seceded from the American Atheists and kept going with the message just because they did not like John. They didn't think he handled funds well. Um, they didn't think he was a good person, so it was personal dislike. Um, the group is still active and growing today, and they still do the same thing. They still just fight to keep separation of church and state, which is a very important fight, I think. Um, irony, her first son, William, became a Christian in 1980. He later became a priest, and she condemned him and cut him off. She then adopted his daughter, Robin. Um, And in the 1990s, she, John, and Robin lived together and all worked together. So they were very close, tight-knit. They were said to be a trio always. So that's, you know, background about Madeline O'Hare. On August 27, 1995, O'Hare, who was 76, her son, John, age 40, and her granddaughter slash adopted daughter Robin, age 30, all disappeared. The door to the American Atheist office was locked, and a typewritten note was taped to the door, signed by John, um, signed with a, you know, pen signature that looked to be by John. It read, The Murray O'Hare family has been called out of town on an emergency basis. We do not know how long we will be gone at the time of writing this memo. The O'Hare home when inspected um, by one of her closest friends, um, the woman who, from what I gathered, this is the woman who took her place as acting chairman of the American Atheists in their absence. Um, They went into the home and said that breakfast dishes were still on the table, Um, Madeline's diabetes medicine was on the counter, and all her dogs were left alone without a caretaker. So they thought it was a little suspicious. But then phone calls to the American Atheists a few days later, made by John, Robin, and Madeline, claimed that they were on business in San Antonio. Um, John, a few days later, ordered... Wait, sorry, sorry. Let me clarify. Oh, yeah. They got a, like a phone call from them? Mm-hmm. So people at the foundation uh-huh. working got a phone call from the trio that had you know disappeared and left okay. the note saying that they were on business in San Antonio. Okay. I'm mm-hmm. sure you'll address that. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> clarify. Sorry. No, it's Okay. <laughs> A couple of days later, John ordered $600,000 worth of gold coins from a local San Antonio jeweler, um, and he accepted uh, half a million dollars of them as delivery. Um, American Atheist employees received multiple phone calls from John and Robin up until September 27th. They wouldn't explain why they left so suddenly and when they were coming back, and they said nothing was amiss, but they noted that they sounded strained and, quotation marks, disturbed. Hmm. After September 28, 1995, no further communication was ever made. Um, Madeline had some purveying health issues. She had gotten a hip replacement. She had um, onset diabetes. Um, she was old. She was old, yeah. <laughs> um, and she was also burdened with legal and financial woes. Um American atheist donations had slowed and she had been sued for $7 million. Um, That lawsuit was won by her. She didn't have to pay. But people were just were starting to distrust her family and their motives. Um, like I said earlier, people didn't trust John or his motive. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just say motives twice. Yeah, but it was rightly so. I yeah. understand. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't trust like John. Him. 
pers- the, her persona wise yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Or whatever <laughs> whatever <laughs> um they didn't trust robin either um they were both accused of mishandling funds and john and robin were being sued by the irs for 1.5 million dollars so there there was some i wrote it's like confusing money issues there was yeah. a lot going on that i didn't really it's not important to the story to sift through but this is why most american atheist members assume that they just split um they abandoned the organization and stole funds and just left they thought they were overseas hanging out on a beach somewhere um everyone was really pissed and the organization trucked on with an acting chairman um one year later September of 1996, the eldest and estranged son of Madeline, um, Bill, as we remember, filed, finally filed a missing persons report with Austin Police Department. Um, The APD was not concerned. They said they saw no evidence of foul play and thought the three grown adults skipped town to run away from their problems. I'm sorry, how long ago? How long? One year. One year after contact stopped. Well, yeah, you don't find any foul play or what. One go year. away. Get, like, go fuck off. I really hope someone took the dogs. Right? Like, the most important. Whatever. Yeah. I, I, that's, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure they did. So, almost a year after that, in February 1997, the IRS suspected the family left and stole tax-exempt funds. Um, So, a criminal investigator named Edmund J. Martin began a money laundering probe. Um, Skipping back a little bit now. On October 2nd, 1995, the body of an adult male was found on the riverbanks of the East Fork Trinity River just outside of Dallas, Texas. His head and hands were missing, and his body was nude. Um, They were able to find that his approximate age was 40, and they found out his approximate weight, but there were no further leads. There was no way to identify him. Um, Detective... Get ready for this. Robert Bjorklund. No, forensic mm-hmm. files. Stop. <laughs> of the Dallas County Sheriff's <laughs> Department. Bjorklund? Bjorklund. <laughs> um, he Sorry. was on the case, um, but it went cold. Until the Dallas Police Department received a tip in 1998 conte- connecting this body to the Murray O'Hare disappearance. The tip came from... Reporter John McCormick of the San Antonio Express News. I knew a John McCormick. Really? Yeah, but never mind. It doesn't matter. Oh, that's weird. It's just an odd That thing. is odd. Anyway, sorry. No, no, it's okay. Again, with the interruption. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sure I'll do it to you. Um, so John was intrigued by the missing Murray O'Hare family in the summer of 1996. Um, he figured, too, that they skipped town. But after, so basically the summer of 96, that was around the one-year anniversary of their disappearance. So the um, paper that he worked for put him on the case. They were like, find out what you can about this. This is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so he figured out, he thought that they skipped town. But once he started digging into John Murray's financial dealings in San Antonio that September, he was suspicious. Um, he hired a private detective, and for two years they delved into the case. He learned that a man named David Waters was also in San Antonio during September of 1995. Um, Waters and O'Hare openly detested each other, which we'll talk about in a minute. 
Um, he learned about the gold and that weird thing. And he also learned that a mystery man posed as John uh, Murray and sold his Mercedes. And he learned that this was a mystery man because he followed, he tracked down the person the Mercedes was sold to at a loss, held up a picture of John and said, is this the man that sold the Mercedes to you? And the person said, nope, that's definitely not him. So it was an imposter. Um, In June 1998, this reporter got a phone tip. The caller was watching a TV report where he was interviewed just about what he was delving into, um, about the disappearance, and this caller was struck by the timing. His brother was also in San Antonio at the same time and had also vanished with no contact. This man's name was Danny Fry. It was his brother Bob that was calling. Danny Fry was going to visit his friend David Waters. Mm. McCormick suspected that it was... Not a coincidence at all. Um, And four months later, he stumbled, four months later, October of 1998, he stumbled across a Dallas article about this cold case John Doe that had washed up by the river. He, the description of this John Doe found in Dallas matched the description he was given of Danny Fry. And he was, the body was found the same weekend that Fry disappeared. Mm. He knew it was a long shot, but he decided to tip the Dallas PD off. Um, Dallas Police Department took his lead. And in January 1999, John Doe was identified through DNA as Danny Fry. Um, And actually, this reporter was the person that tipped off the irs and caused the irs to start looking into the disappearance as well just fun fact dang this is so convoluted i know like this, it's so much i'm following it but it's still very I'm heavy glad, and like I'm following it no yeah it's i mean you have to pay attention to it but it's still a lot of people and dates and like uh-huh. what is happening but continue i'm sorry mm. no it's okay mimosa break <laughs> yeah mimosa <laughs> um so This led the Dallas PD to start looking at John Waters as a suspect because he was connected to these two people. Um, Fry's brother actually said, Danny Fry's brother said that he had traveled to Texas to do a job with Waters. Um, Danny was kind of a, a, you know, a small time criminal. He didn't deal with like the best types of people. So he... um, sent a letter to his brother Bob saying that if anything happened to him, if he disappeared, anything like that, Waters did it. Um, so when Danny didn't come home, his brother Bob called um, David Waters and told him about the letter. Waters and a man named Gary Carr then showed up at Bob's house in Florida and threatened him with a gun. Um, this prompted Bob Bobby Fry to uh, look up, do a background check on Carr, and find that he had eight prior felonies, which included armed robbery and kidnapping. And he had done 30 to 40 years in prison, I believe it was. Jeez. Um, I, I wrote in stars, um, McCormick literally found all of this shit out just by interviewing people and delving deep, like busted everything wide open and connected all this stuff um so who the fuck is david waters right correct david roland waters was born in 1947 he in january of 1993 got hired as a typesetter and then later office manager for the american atheists um he was a previous felon oh no no you have a question yes i thought you were like yeah like you had connected something i'm i'm we can edit this part out but i just want to make sure i have the person right so there's a I know there's a 
Danny Fry. Mm-hmm. And there's, is there a David Waters or John Waters? It's very confusing. And I might be slipping back and forth. So we have. Yeah, because I was like, wait a minute. I wrote this and then I. We have a it. missing John Murray. Uh-huh. A reporter, John McCormick. Uh-huh. A missing Danny Fry. Right. His brother, Bob Fry. Okay. A suspicious David Waters. Okay. <laughs> and now another suspicious Gary Carr. Okay. No, you're good. It's it's a lot of names. I wrote down John Waters, but that was not you. That was me mixing it up. Because John Waters is a real person, right? Yeah, that's why I wrote that's, the celebrity. I keep doing that. Like, he's I the keep, creepy, creepy guy with mm-hmm, the mustache, but he's mm-hmm. like a badass. Yes. Okay. I keep doing that. Like, there's there's a lot of parts where I, like, cross things <laughs> out. I was like, oh, wow, John Waters. That's why I was like, wait a minute, David Waters, John Murray. I need to clarify. John Waters was not affected by this podcast episode. No. We like John Waters. He has that great quote that's like, if you take someone home and there's no books in their apartment, don't fuck them. Yep. Or whatever it it's is. It's a really good quote. It is. I, and I probably messed it up, but No, regardless. that's pretty spot on, I think. Yeah, right. Yeah. I read that and I was like, I have lots of books. I've read like one of them, but I have <laughs> I books. Lots of books. I mostly have books <laughs> on the Black Death and mm. medieval plagues and stuff. So that's... That's what you'll walk into my apartment and read. <laughs> this David Waters okay. um, pled guilty to stealing $54,000 from the American atheist. Um, and after this stuff was uncovered, Madeline O'Hare wrote a scathing article about him. Um, so this is in 1994. She wrote this in the members only section of an American atheist newsletter. And she exposed his theft and previous crimes. Um these previous crimes included the 1977 beating and urinating on his mother, what? the murder of a teenager with three other boys at age 17, for which he was sentenced to eight years in prison. So that's why he detested Madeline, mm-hmm. because of this article that she wrote. Um After the police kind of figured out that he was connected in these, after Danny Fry was identified and David Waters was the last person to be known to be with him, um, they they received a search warrant to search his apartment that he shared with his girlfriend, um, and they found ammunition. Ammunition. Since he was still on parole. (laughs) Oh, my God. Since he was still on parole, um, that was a violation of it. And Or no, no, no. It wasn't because parole. I forget about this rule. Because I always jump. Okay. Sorry. Mimosas. Um, Because he was a convicted felon, you're not allowed to have firearms or ammunition. Right. Obviously. Basically parole violation regardless. Same difference. So that led to his arrest. So they were able to hold him. Um, In... Her testimony during the trial, which we're not going to go too much into because it's pretty cut and dry. Mm -hmm. Um, David Waters' girlfriend said that he was enraged by O'Hare's article. And he openly spoke about fantasizing, about torturing her, snipping off her toes, you know, the like. Um, Carr was interviewed. He had gone home to some other state. It's written down somewhere. Detroit. He, He went to Illinois. Wait. Michigan. Michigan. Right? Yeah. M&M. Okay. Yeah. We're good. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So he, he went back home to, I don't know. I don't know. It's things. Chicago. It's I cool. always thought um, Detroit was a state for like a while. You know, mm-hmm. like you just hear it said so much as like a singular item. You're like, like oh yeah, ne- the state of Detroit. Like New York City? Yeah. But it's. Nope. Just stop. <laughs> it's okay. I know it's dumb. I know. <laughs> 
trying so, to make a point. Um, he was interviewed by police, and he immediately, though, implicated David Waters in the deaths of the O'Hares and the O'Hare Murrays, and yeah. Um, he even signed an affidavit and drew a map to the bodies. Wow. Way yeah. to pick a partner. Yeah. So Carr was arrested <laughs> for firearm possession in Detroit where he lived, and the charges were dropped so he could await trial for the O'Hare murder. Um, so basically how the crime went down, um, Gary Carr, David Waters, and Danny Fry all went to the O'Hare Murray house and forcibly abducted them, forced them to sign the note, and then took them to San Antonio, Mm -hmm. where they held them for about a month. Mm -hmm. Um, They had them make those phone calls for the following, you know, couple weeks. Okay, so it really was them. It really was them. Um, They forced them to make the phone calls and basically forced and extorted money out of them. They forced John to get all the money. They forced, you know, the car. They went on shopping sprees. They had all these new things all of a sudden. And it was a little suspicious to people, but whatever. Um, and then after about what police estimate, it's either police estimates or it's in their statements. I couldn't find their statements. So I, we're going to say just about a month and a half later, the O'Hare family had been murdered. Um, Danny Fry was not a big time criminal at all. Um, my guess is he kind of got a little shaky. He didn't want to be wrapped up in this anymore. So Carr and Waters turned on him, and that's where they murdered him. Um, they took his head and his hands so he couldn't be identified, and bada boom, bada bing. So for almost nine years, they got away with this. Um, that's because for almost nine years, <laughs> everybody thought that the O'Hare family just split. Sucks, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Carr's trial lasted three weeks. He was found guilty of conspiracy to commit extortion, traveling interstate to commit violent acts, money laundering, and interstate transportation of stolen property charges. Um, there were kidnapping conspiracy charges, but he was acquitted of those because the bodies had not yet been found. Um, he was sentenced to two life life sentences by U.S. District Judge Sam Sparks in August of 2000. What? I said forensic files. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, Waters was arrested on March 24th, 1999, and he was found guilty of kidnapping, robbery, and murder and sentenced to 80 years in prison. He was also ordered to pay back um, $543,665, but it's not I'm likely sure that he was able yeah, to do that. Yeah, that didn't happen. Um, January 2001, Waters from incarceration told feds that the o'hares were buried on a texas ranch and he led them to the bodies um police excavated the bodies and they were found to be dismembered the legs had been cut off with a saw um and the remains were so dismembered and decomposed that dental records um, madeline's hip replacement records and dna evidence had to be used to identify them danny fry's head and hands were also found John Waters died in prison January 27, 2003 of lung cancer. Good. And if you go to atheist.org, that is the American Atheist website still up and running. Um, They take donations. They basically are a political group just keeping separation of church and state active and alive. And they have the full story of Madeline and they try to keep her legacy alive. 
So in summary, because this was a really weird and convoluted case to follow, um, Madeline, her son, and her adopted daughter were forcibly abducted abducted from their home one morning, forced to sign a letter. Um, they were taken to San Antonio by David, Gary, and Danny. Um, they were assumably tortured they were forced to withdraw money um meantime everyone back at home in austin the american atheist people they worked with the foundation the government um everyone thought that they had just split and the austin police department i hate to say it they did absolutely nothing about it um no one thought that this was any sort of foul play so fast forward to nine almost ten years later these men are finally finally paying for their crimes because one reporter john mccormick blew the story wide open decided that this was really interesting and it needed to be delved into um the austin police department they got some backlash from this and i read one like quote that basically said the police chief like just kind of rolled his eyes and was like whatever we don't care wow so um questions and theories this one is pretty like we know what happened so my first question in theory like i i don't know if you listened hannah to true crime garage their um we're all crazy episode or we're all lunatics it's another instance uh, a more recent instance of police not looking for an adult because Mm -hmm. things didn't look suspicious and they were adults when really they're murdered and Mm -hmm. It's these, I feel like this woman, because I had to sift through a few articles that were just dripping with like almost she got what she deserved because she was a terrible woman who was against our God, against our Christian faith. And I feel like that probably played into some of it. She was widely known. She was very outspoken. She was a very strong-headed woman and hard-headed, whatever you want to say. So I feel like Opinionated. She had a right to her opinion. Yeah. Because it didn't go with your opinion. You look like the piece of shit who doesn't accept everyone, who doesn't, quote, tolerate everyone. Yep. You look like the asshole, not Mm -hmm. her. And to be fair, she was kind of assholey about her beliefs. But you kind of have to be when you, when you're in a position like right. her, you you have to take that heavy yeah. stance, and so otherwise you just look like a pushover, and you don't exactly. You're just like, oh, well, eh, eh. yeah. I and I feel like like first off, I'm gonna say this woman's my hero because she did amazing work that needed to be done. Absolutely. And I mean, atheism is not a scary thing. It's not like I'm an atheist. It's just it's just yeah, and it's she didn't agree with it. Yeah, she didn't believe in that. Foot. So it's like. Mm-hmm. Just because it's non-religious doesn't mean that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Because if in those schools at the same time the Quran was being read, mm-hmm. s- uh, churches uh, churches would have been the ones suing the school district, not one woman. So, yeah. Did she win any of those? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, she I wrote that down because I was like, I wonder if she actually won anything. Yeah. She was okay. very successful. And when she wasn't su- successful, she ruffled enough feathers mm-hmm. that things started working into motion mm-hmm. to get changed and altered um so she's awesome if you don't agree with what she was doing that's okay but you have to appreciate that that's in, that separation of church and state is very important and it's very needed then this is hearsay not hearsay this is just my opinion 
the Austin Police Department maybe didn't look for them because they were well-known atheists and they might have just said, fuck them, who cares? They deserve whatever they get or they probably just split because they're bad people because mm-hmm. that's what they think of atheists. They think they're bad people inherently. So that was my first thought. And there were a few, like, loyalists to her and her family that were worried and concerned. Mm-hmm. I just, it's just so sad for me thinking about these people and thinking about how even her own son in later interviews said that she got what she deserved. Like, it shows you the hold that religion has on people in such a negative light. Yeah. When it is taught to you being positive. If someone had looked into this and said, well, hey, this guy really hates my mom, they maybe Mm -hmm. could have saved them. And the fact that their house was left. And obviously in a hurry, the dogs were left unattended. Mm. Her diabetes medicine that you will die without was left behind. Like, that's suspicious enough to me. So I think the Austin Police Department at this time really dropped the ball. And they got they had blood on their hands. Absolutely. It clearly showed where they stood on the whole issue. There was no murder investigation. No one was reported missing for a year. This case was just casually, you know, went cold. Like, of mm-hmm. course it went cold because yeah. there was nothing to go on. Like, this isn't fair. Mm-hmm. This is just, this is a repeat of so many cases that we've talked about, but in different circumstances of yeah. because it's a white person, because it's a convicted felon, because it's this, because it's that, because it's that. In this instance, it's because this woman, like emphasis on woman, Mm -hmm. was religious, emphasis on religious, in the years and decades that religion is, you know, up your ass 24-7, no one cares. Right. Especially in Texas. And I applaud her if her motives were, let me go down to the South and try and prove a point. That's even more applaudable, or if that's a word, whatever. Um, But... That sucks that she died because of this when she was fighting for something, you know, important. Yeah. And this dickhead who (laughs) he he got eight years of prison for a murder. He committed this murder with I think it was either two or or either uh, three total. So he and two others or he and three other boys. Mm -hmm. And they murdered a young they murdered a fellow teenager. So it's like so again, we talk about these violent criminals that are either given lenient sentences or they're let Mm -hmm. off early. This was a homicidal maniac who orchestrated a kidnapping, extortion, and torture, dismemberment, and murder. And he walked free for almost a decade after this. It's like, how Only because they were dumb enough. Okay, not dumb enough, but I think dumb enough. Because it's like, if you want to cover this up entirely... Sure, great. Remove the head, remove the hands, but mm-hmm. they found it. Yeah. So why don't you just get rid of everything? Right. Don't be done. Like, why okay, did you? You bought yourself, you know, whatever, a few years, but don't even like. Why did you even float the body in the river? Right. Why didn't you just bury it with everything else? Or like, yeah, I don't. That didn't. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> but that it's, just is stupid to me. Like, if you really, this is a big time, mm-hmm. high profile thing. Don't even risk getting caught. And it shows just like. The juvenile and just like inexperience, you know yeah. what I mean? Just like you suck, yeah, at yeah. killing or whatever. I don't know. And like that brings me to another point that, like, our current climate right now is not very good for reporters in the media, mm-hmm. and there's some merit in that, um. but it's mostly not because this reporter, this dude, 
working his day job mm. solved a murder case mm. solved a triple a, a quadruple homicide mm. and it was because he spent years like delving into this like so reporters the media like they're very important this man is very important what he did he brought justice to these three people who i don't care what money issues they were having or what legal issues like they didn't deserve to die madeline's my hero it sucks mm-hmm. sucks that they had to go through that mm-hmm. oh i also talked about like how they needed people and i can't remember their names martha and so and so from garden air garden yes. mm-hmm. yeah from the icebox murder icebox murder right? yeah yeah oh, that, you're right i was like we <clears throat> we needed those people in the situation to like mm-hmm. actually go into the financial forensics mm-hmm. of were they spending this money who was actually doing this yeah. and where was it coming out of and things like that but she stood for something wonderful and that it wasn't this oh no god and mm-hmm. blah 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 all this you know heavy religious crap it was yeah. just i don't want to do what everyone else does yeah and it's as simple as that and, and that's i don't okay. want my kid to do and that that's, yeah yeah it's not this i hate roman catholicism and blah 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 mm-hmm. you know she was a badass from day one yeah okay? she was she was getting divorced and the 40s and mm. being in the army in the 40s and having kids out of wedlock like doing everything doing what she wanted right. yeah yeah so she was cool as fuck yeah basically and i feel like she had to be blasphemous and she had to be very like offensive kind of to lay the groundwork for this and what the american atheists do now today is just uphold the fundamental beliefs mm. and they don't have to go around giving offensive interviews for back then. exactly so they, they, she she took the brunt of everything mm-hmm. for this valiant cause to kind of live on. Like I think hashtag MLK Day. Oh yeah, man. I mean, not even in the same regard, but no, but in it's, like a way lower tier. I'm glad. Well, we need to like mention it because it's important. Yeah, and he was an amazingly he, important yeah, man pioneer his message, of like all that civil rights stuff his message gets so lost and mm. like convoluted like mostly by white people just right because i'm saying hashtag mlk day like, no 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 but just like <laughs> no, different quotes that get though. pulled about his right. dream and blah 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 it's mm-hmm. like he was talking about the same stuff that black people are still fighting and dealing with today like in the 60s so yeah he's Another like wonderful human being that got the brunt of all the negativity mm-hmm. because Absolutely. it was so radical. He got, he got killed. Yeah. Yeah. I know that you mentioned like the saw and things mm-hmm. like that. Did they ever find murder weapons per se? Not that I read. Okay. So I don't believe. I don't believe so. I I don't believe they had anything except the confessions. Like mm-hmm. I feel like most of the evidence was circumstantial mm-hmm. because they didn't have. I mean, it had been ten years, and they didn't find the bodies until he had already been convicted. So, and that's so crazy to me because it's like you can have a circumstantial disappearance, mm-hmm. and then you can have a circumstantial murder. Yeah, but it's like why don't you just do the dirty work in the first place and like figure out what happened and it sucks annoying manpower will be lost on runaways that are actual runaways and like people that really did just say i'm done with this life and leave like not that they shouldn't be searched out right like because you just never know exactly it's still it's worth i think it's worth a human life to maybe especially when when they're a bigger deal you just never know not like Mm -hmm. bigger deal but like when they are 
famous for the for being hated wrong reasons yeah, yeah. That's for in the time the wrong reasons so yeah you should go check them out mm-hmm. whatever your personal stance is on the situation as a police officer or lawyer whatever like you should have looked into it yep all right it's my turn it is guys. i'm excited it's not good no it's, of course not it's not good none of these are good none of the things no. we ever do are going to be good I don't like this man at all. I don't even know. I think I told you earlier, like, I was just, like, searching through San Antonio murders or something like that, and mm-hmm. this came up. Um, And it wasn't long ago, but it wasn't recent at the same time. So this is the story of the murders of, get ready for it, Leona McBee, 47, her niece, Libby Best, who was 24, Libby's four-year-old daughter, Reba, and 14-year-old Tassie Boone. This is the granddaughter of Leona's common-law husband, Ronald Boone. So kind of convoluted. Mm-hmm. Four victims in total. Ugh, yeah. Four-year-old. Yeah. So this occurred in Stockdale, which is about a half hour outside of San Antonio. So Ronald Boone found um, all four victims when he returned home from work. Libby was shot twice in the head. Her four-year-old daughter, Reba, was beaten to death with a metal exercise bar and a hammer crushing her skull. Uh, Leona and Tassie were beaten and strangled. Their necks were crushed and broken. And Tassie had also been raped. Right. Correct. Big, uh, big deal. That wasn't meant sarcastically. No, um, no, not at all. <laughs> the family's killer would be identified as Dennis Wayne Bagwell. Gross. Uh, I've also seen articles that he went by Pete, but we can just call him Dennis. Uh, Dennis had a prior conviction for attempted capital murder for robbing. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I did the exact same thing. (laughs) She threw her pen across the room. Uh, For robbing and slitting the throat of an illegal immigrant. I was going to complain about this illegal immigrant comment and possibly take it out of the paragraph, but um, I realized it's probably important to his sort of like victimology, if you will, so I left it in. Okay. But uh, I think it kind of goes back to our Christmas episode where I rant about giving positive and negative semblance to people in the news. Um, so I just think that illegal immigrant was just kind of unnecessary, yeah. personally. But um, yeah. anyway, he began serving a 18-year sentence for that crime in October 1982. He was paroled in October 1989. <gasps> so only seven years later? Right, for attempted murder. For just the illegal immigrant. Attempted capital murder, okay? Ooh, okay. <clears throat> right, get ready. So September 1992, he was returned to prison on a parole violation. He was paroled again in January 1993, so just a few short months later. So uh, I wrote this in here. I appreciate the fact that this article put this in parentheses because I know that last episode that we both kind of bitched about parole release and mm-hmm. things therein. Um, but this says, at this time, the state of Texas was forced to meet strict prison population caps imposed by U.S. District Judge Williams Wayne Justice. So I understand that this does happen, especially in the 1990s when crime in the country was really bad. Um, I just hate that criminal 
with records like this are allowed to be released. And I know that there are certain things that constitute release over other inmates, but it kind of still pisses me off. So Mm -hmm. anyway, uh, before killing this family, it is reported that two weeks prior, uh, Dennis allegedly killed a 63-year-old janitor and night stalker of a bar in Seguin, Texas, by kicking him to death after a drug deal gone bad. <laughs> I'll get more into it later, but um, specifically about that bar murder, uh, he also had a misdemeanor assault charge, or multiple misdemeanor assault charges on his record as well. He had a history of parole violations, a lengthy history of threats of violence, discipline, disciplinary violations, and refusal to accept psychiatric, psychiatric treatment. Wow. Moses. Uh, while in prison for his previous crimes, he also was addicted to cocaine. <clears throat> Dennis was a 35 year old. Nobody living with his girlfriend in San Antonio. He was originally from Denver and grew up in multiple Texas cities. So another person we hate from Denver. (laughs) Uh, He had also worked as a butcher and a meat salesman, if you want to put that in his uh, profile, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Dennis and his girlfriend, Victoria Wolford, lived in Wilson County in a small travel trailer on property owned by Leona McBee, who lived on the same property with her family. And uh, the reason why the couple chose this residence is because Leona McBee was his mother. So in September of 1995, Leona asked Dennis, her son, and Victoria to move out of the trailer and off of her property. And a few days later, uh, according to Victoria, they had smoked crack cocaine and went back to get some money that Leona had offered to give Dennis. Um, Victoria will later say that she had a headache and went into their previously vacated trailer to rest while Dennis went into his mother's trailer to talk briefly and get the money. Mm -hmm. Uh, A short time later, Dennis walked over to the other trailer that Victoria was in, told Victoria that his mother would only give him $20, which I guess was significantly lower than what they had previously discussed. And um, according to her, Dennis then went back to the trailer with that was occupied by his mother. Um, while she stood outside the trailer that she was in originally to rest her headache. Okay. Two trailers. I know it's kind of confusing. Um, <clears throat> so through the window, Victoria saw or said that she saw Dennis strike his mother. Then she heard screams two, and two popping noises. She heard Tassie specifically yell, no, no. And then heard the four-year-old child screaming. Everything went quiet for a while. Then she heard Leona yell at the dogs and gasp for air. Then through another window, she saw Dennis hit his mother with a long-handled gun. Uh, later on, Dennis took, she said Den- Dennis took some towels, wetted them with wa- a water hose, and wiped off a hammer. He then told Victoria that he was going to go inside to wipe off fingerprints that he might have left at the house and that he wanted to make the crime look like a robbery and a rape of Tassie. <clears throat> go ahead. Sorry, what? So he he raped his sister just to make it look like? Uh, uh, not really. So Tassie was his mother's boyfriend's granddaughter. 
Okay. So there's so someone no he was blood maybe relation. very like family close Correct. to. Yeah. God. So I mean, from my opinion and from what I've read, uh, I mean, I guess Tassie was pretty close to her grandfather. Mm-hmm. So if they were all living together, I'm assuming that Dennis knew her pretty well. Yeah. Um. So Dennis was linked to the crime by a bloody shoe print found underneath Tassie's body, as well as the testimony given to the police by Victoria. Okay. And on September 20th, 1995, Dennis was indicted by a Wilson County grand jury for capital murder and the deaths of Leona McBee, Libby Best, Reba Best, and Tassie Boone. A change of venue was granted, and the case was transferred to uh, Atascosa County? Atascosa? I literally did the same thing. I thought okay. it was Atascosa, but it's there's no Cita. Okay. Atascosa. 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 Oh. <laughs> Okay. I could be wrong. Texas. <laughs> right. Yep. I thought it was a Tascacita as well, but <laughs> false. <laughs> so at trial, uh, prosecutors, or excuse me, prosecutors offered several witnesses, including Victoria, who testified that she was with Dennis when he committed the gruesome murders, and she had led police to various locations along the getaway route where he had discarded incriminating evidence. So police and <laughs> my, my dog is tired. Uh, police and scientific experts linked significant physical evidence from the murders to Dennis, as well as firearm experts uh, testified that the bullet fragments removed from Libby's cranium matched the shattered rifle that the police recovered. So Libby was the only one that was shot, uh, which was weird to me. The defense's psychiatric expert testified that cocaine ingestion can raise a person's energy level, increase aggressiveness, lead to manic episodes involving hyperactivity and unclear thought, and cause psychotic, paranoid behavior. But other witnesses testified to Dennis's depressed and upset demeanor in the days following the murders. So basically what I gathered from that is that the that this doctor was trying to keep both sides of the argument kind of clear. Mm-hmm. So either blame it on cocaine, altering his state of mind, or forget all that because he was showing signs of depression and sadness after his family's death. Mm-hmm. Um, furthermore, their effort was to suggest that Monica Boone, Tassie's mother, committed the crime. Uh, the defense offered evidence to show that Monica and Tassie had a difficult relationship, that Monica, Monica had physically abused Tassie, and on the night of the murders, um, there was a woman who kind of bore the resemblance of Monica at uh, a bar near in town or whatever. But when they kind of cooperated with Monica, she was actually in California the whole time, so there was okay. no way that she was even in Texas or even at that in San Antonio. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I think the weird thing that they thought was that this woman at the bar was like mumbling about having lost her hammer. So that was kind of weird. That is weird. That's something that yeah. maybe should be looked into right. on its own. I agree. Um, but I also don't think that she raped her daughter. You right. Know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that alone. But anyway, um, Arguments in Dennis's favor will state that his case involves concerning issues which are common in capital punishment. So most notably, there is reason to believe that his attorney at trial uh, provided him with ineffective counsel. So uh, this included that his attorney failed to interview the state star witness, Victoria. 
Wolford, mm. the girlfriend, who testified uh, that he she was with him at the time of the crimes, mm-hmm. um, which is like insane to me. Like, why don't you interview her? Um, yeah. <laughs> in in parentheses, I put put uh, defense attorney Dick Dumbfuck strikes again. <laughs> but whatever, it's fine. We're yeah, we're gonna keep that name going. Yep. Dick Dumbfuck. Dick Dumbfuck. Dick Dumbfuck. Um, as well as his attorney also failed to adequately adequately investigate and present mitigating evidence such as Dennis's boohoo uh traumatic childhood to the jury people will (laughs) people will say that uh this omission denied the jury the opportunity to hear that Dennis was often left unsupervised as a child and was beaten by his alcoholic stepfather including the stories told by Dennis stating that he was made this is kind of gross to sleep in the same room as his mother while she engaged in sexual activity uh his stepfather frequently forced Dennis and his sister to also stare at a blank television screen for hours at a time kind of weird wasn't expecting that when I read that article but uh I guess I could see that but also a lot of people go through terrible childhoods and don't murder people murder and rape so right yep. sorry about it you suck <laughs> sorry about it mm-hmm. uh during the penalty phase of his trial the jury was not specifically informed that a single juror could prevent a death sentence so this kind of leads me back to the kind of statement or not statement but the suggestion that you gave me earlier on before we started recording of like giving a whole episode towards the death penalty mm-hmm. because stuff like this is like I didn't know that a single juror could prevent a death sentence. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I do inadvertently of like, if you can't get everyone to agree on it, sure. But at the same time, either you have a hung jury or you don't. Or, right. You know what I mean? You, you what think it has to things? be like five to four or whatever. It's like yeah. one person can mm-hmm. say, no, 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 we're not doing this. So, yeah, it's very right. interesting. So, um, his jury also did not receive instructions on the possibility of parole. So in Texas, which is one of two states with a death penalty, which does not have life without parole, uh, the jury is not legally entitled to information about alternative sentences, Hmm. which is kind of baffling to Mm -hmm. me because it's like, what happens to the person? Yeah. So they Uh, decide we're not putting him to death and then they're just like, well, we don't know what happens now. Exactly. That's very weird. I don't know. Maybe that's how it works. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe we just don't know. Um, another issue some had was that Dennis was also shackled and restrained during his trial, which is a practice which courts have kind of taken into account when uh, reversing sentences because of its prejudicial effect on the jury's perception of the defendant, mm-hmm. which I totally see. Yes. Yeah. Um, that sheds I'm, a very unfair light on Right. Them. Absolutely. It kind of makes you look like you're incapacitated or mentally just not capable of withstanding a lot of things. So I think that that's... I don't know, a good thing that they kind of are taking that into consideration. Uh, prosecutors described Dennis at his trial as a, quote, natural born killer. And a pathologist also testified that it appeared that the victims had been beaten with a claw hammer, the neck of a guitar, a, a metal part from an exercise machine and a broken twenty two caliber rifle. Wow. Yeah, so I mean... He was just picking up whatever he could. A little reiteration of what I said earlier, but um, a little bit more in detail. Um, At least one of the victims had been stomped on. One was shot twice in the head, as we said, and two of the victims were strangled so violently that their necks were broken. 
pretty rough, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, after uh, deliberating for three hours, the jury returned a guilty verdict. The case then proceeded to punishment phase. The state presented, among other things, evidence and testimony concerning Dennis's past convictions, his violence during pretrial detention, his bad disciplinary record during previous incarcerations, and his parole records. Uh, the defense offered five witnesses, including Dennis's ex-wife and former former parole officer, who each testified that Dennis should receive a sentence of life imprisonment rather than the death penalty. I wonder how much they got paid for that one. Yeah, it's weird that parole officers <laughs> right. allowed to do that. Uh, but after a four-hour deliberation, the jury sentenced Dennis to death. Luckily. Uh, quote, I think the death penalty for someone like him is the only way he deserves what he gets. And that is quoted by Wilson County Sheriff Joe Tackett. Um, I think that that's not always true, but for someone who has had multiple chances with parole and violations and then more parole violations and so on, you know, if you go and wipe out an an entire family, let alone your own, it would be naive to think that he would just stop there. So I think if you a four year old child, yeah, you deserve death. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dennis's collection of tattoos included one on his left arm that spelled out in big letters "Mom." <laughs> I have that too. But. Yeah, but he's a poser because obviously he doesn't really <laughs> freaking care about his mom. Um, he said he was nowhere near the murder scene and last saw his mother about three days before the slayings. He said uh, his earlier stint in prison made him a convenient target when authorities were looking to find uh, who was responsible for the murders. Quote, when they found out I had a TDC record for attempted murder, they started piling up the evidence to back their claim. Uh, his appeals were mainly based on two issues. Number one, whether he was denied due process and the presumption of innocence as a result of being shackled in the courtroom throughout the trial. And then number two, whether trial counsel coerced him into waiving his right to testify uh, uh, in violation of his Fifth, Sixth, and Fourteenth Amendment rights to a fair trial. A.K.A. he wanted to testify at his trial, which I'm not sure how he thought that that would have helped. But, yeah, uh, it's usually not a good idea. No. But the the, the shackle thing, yeah. he's, he's right. Right. I was going to say, like, however, like, if you're going to grasp a straws for your appeal, at least those two had some validity to them, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, in an interview, Dennis said that he was grateful for the 11th hour efforts, but would welcome death. Quote, I'm at peace with it. He said, I'm ready to go. I'm tired of living in a cage like an animal and being treated like an animal. What better way to go than being put to sleep rather than suffering the rest of your life? Isn't the animal in a cage analogy a little bit played out? Yeah. But that's just my opinion. Ugh, but it's so on the nose, like... That yeah, the death is a sweet release, mm-hmm. and they don't have to suffer. Absolutely, uh, flip flopping. So I know, hard. right? Right. Damn. You want to hear his <clears throat> final meal? Of course we do. Yes. Uh, beef steak, medium rare, a one sauce, three fried chicken breasts, three fried chicken thighs, barbecue ribs, a large order of French fries, large order of onion rings, pound of fried bacon, a dozen. <laughs> God, who eats this much? A dozen scrambled eggs with onions, fried potatoes with onions, sliced tomatoes, a salad with ranch dressing. Like, let's just put like a salad on top of that. Yeah. Two hamburgers with everything, peach pie or cobbler, I guess they said. 
ketchup, salt and pepper, milk and coffee, iced tea with real sugar. Because who wants that fake shit? (laughs) And on February 17th, 2005, Dennis Bagwell spoke few last words from the death chamber that Thursday night, saying only, I love you all. To his few friends who witnessed his execution shortly after 6 p.m., his goodbye was short, not acknowledging, of course not, the family members of the victims. Mm-hmm. With his eyes or words, he gasped, snorted, and gurgled as the lethal dose was administered and he was pronounced dead at 6.19 p.m. Dennis died having never admitted guilt. Wow. Right. Quote, I'm just glad it's all over with, said Monica Boone. Everybody that's been touched by this madman can rest in peace, and I thank God it's finally over. Libby's father, Gregory Knowles, said, I'm hoping and praying this is the end of uh, a chapter in my life. There's no joy in watching somebody die. We could be evil and wish somebody be thrown feet feet first into a wood chipper, but that wouldn't change things and bring honor to those who have passed away at the hand of someone like this. Um, In regards to the death of bar employee George Berry, In 1997, a year after Dennis was convicted for his family's murders, he was charged and taken to trial for the murder of George. Hmm. Which is great, I think. Yeah. Um, Doesn't make too much of a difference, but I still think it's great. Um, Too little, too late. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Victoria, once again, testified against him. And said he had sold drugs to the regulars at the bar for some time. She said that she waited in the car that night while Dennis was inside. She said she could hear pounding and thumping noises. And then Dennis reappeared 20 to 25 minutes later. He came back with three bags of money and an injured finger. She said that uh, he confessed to her that he killed George by smashing in his throat with his foot. Whoa. Uh, She remembers he was wearing big, heavy black boots. Evidence would show his fingerprints and palm prints would be on a filing cabinet near George's body where the deposit money was kept. And several witnesses also said that Dennis had multiple stories on how he hurt his finger. Uh, He said he had hit a black man. And then he said a black man had hit him and then robbed him. And then the third story was that he had smashed his... (laughs) And smashed his hand on the hood of a car. Like, mm-hmm. um, dang that hood of the car. And like, how I'm did just... she not see that happen? <clears throat> Stupid. Dumb Vicky. <laughs> uh, the jury sentenced him to life in prison, even though it was kind of pointless. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at least, you know, if for some reason his death sentence had been overturned, I think it's good that they had the sentencing as a backup of sorts. Yep, absolutely. Um, that's kind of it. I want to move into questions and theories because that literally like it's all of it. But I, uh, the funniest thing, uh, before getting kind of into all of this, I wrote down that I stumbled upon a guy with the same name, Dennis Bagwell. He is a, (laughs) this is so bizarre. Is he a baseball player? No, the furthest from. He's Mm -hmm. like, you male form, uh, a widely published hardcore goth poet. Nice. Right. Dennis Bagwell. That's, right. He change your name, bro. Yes. He <laughs> wrote about like zombie apocalypse shit. Not the same guy. If you go and look this person up, don't be 
deterred from the real person, okay? I thought that was funny. So I do do believe from what I read that Dennis is the killer of the family and George Barry. My only question is that I do have some doubt of Victoria's involvement. I think it's a little fishy that she just so happened to be there at both crime scenes. But like, oh, I was in the trailer with a headache or like I was in the car because he told me to wait there. Like she sees and hears practically everything. Okay. And she's more than happy to testify against him each time. Um, I guess I just like I wonder if she was given immunity or something like that when it came to testifying against him, because that could possibly explain things. But I do think that's odd. Yeah, I wrote down, is Vicky in trouble? Mm -hmm. Arrow to that. Mm, I don't like that because it's not very feminist to me. But I wrote a derogatory word about her. (laughs) I said, where did I write this? Um, You don't rest because of a headache. Mm -hmm. Like, you're a normal human being. You're doing things. Like, you just stand there and deal with it. Well, she said she had just smoked crack cocaine. Right. Like, I don't know what it's like to do that, but I'm assuming you don't get a headache within, Probably like, not. just a few minutes. Yeah. Like, whatever. what the fuck was the girlfriend doing? Why not, like, I wrote, I wrote, what was she doing? Mm-hmm. Why not run? If mm-hmm. you hear that your boyfriend's murdering an entire family, why not run? Um, and then I wrote, good job, <laughs> when I saw her that she testified. But also, she should have been implicated for some of this, because... You I are totally too. an accomplice. You drove the getaway mm-hmm. car. So, I mean, I don't know if she was in the driver's seat or the passenger seat, but... Um, you didn't I, stop. You obstructed justice because you didn't call the cops. Like, yeah. I said that, like, he clearly had an anger problem. Yeah. He preyed on, you know, pretty harmless people, in my opinion. Um. It was always people he just had, like, a fucking problem with. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, like, an illegal immigrant. George, who didn't want to give him money or deal with all the, you know, drugs that he was trying to sell. You know, his own mother and relatives that over 20 bucks that, was you know, probably because of his drug habit and, like, I don't know, something that his mother was just trying to get over and get past. Mm-hmm. And just, like, I don't want to deal with that anymore, you yeah, know? Yeah, get like, off my property. I don't want right. to see you waste away. And, like, I kind of wonder... Besides the drug stuff, if it is that issue, I wonder otherwise why his mom was asking him and her Victoria to leave. Yeah. Because otherwise, I'm not really sure what it could be. So I'm assuming that the drugs were out of control. You know, maybe rent wasn't being paid. Um, You know, was he making inappropriate advances towards Tassie? Right. Um, Because that's that's a pretty quick thing to do to just decide, I'm going to... Like everyone's staging dead. a robbery, real quick. exactly. Or raper, sorry. That's like, not something that someone who hasn't thought about it before right. would automatically jump to. Yeah. I agree, and I think that Victoria, <clears throat> you know, she was smart enough to not be involved with the crimes, and smart enough to not divulge, or she was smart enough to divulge yeah. information to the police. But not smart enough to leave yeah. the guy after several years or I guess. After this happens, like, right. not once, but twice. but twice. So it's like, I would speculate that she had more to do with it than I she's agree. letting on. Or she benefited from it. He robbed them, mm-hmm. the people he killed, and she benefited. She I got, agree. like, and she could have been just some worthless junkie. <coughs> and hopefully, 
obviously she didn't get in trouble for this so right hopefully maybe for her cooperation the courts or state whatever paid for rehabilitation services like maybe because at that point i feel okay with saying she was a worthless junkie Mm -hmm. she listened on while five different people got murdered and did nothing one was a four-year-old how do you do that um i had a headache yeah no you didn't you're just worthless Um, but it's possible for someone in that position addiction is a hell of a thing so like you can change it whatever this guy dennis is a piece of shit through and through i think they're both pieces of shit i mean yeah like i hope better for her now but from all of this she's a piece of shit i've watched too many episodes of intervention where Mm -hmm. the couples are both addicted to the same thing and they won't let go of each other so it's like if you're both addicted to the same drug toxic for each other, right and so it's like you're you're faking something lady mm-hmm. like you're ratting out the guy that you're supposed to be super involved with and like you have something on him i don't know it just it's fishy unless she unless he's beating her interfering for her own life if she leaves or said something about the crimes which she never confessed to and i think that she clearly had the opportunity to do that mm-hmm. if she wanted to to corroborate her story then i think she's mentally disturbed enough to either be okay with his actions or secretly be involved yeah in helping at least spur on to his desires and reasons to kill mm-hmm. it's just too convenient to me so i think so you're not just casually present out of two out of two killings right. like you, you're just not it's just that's the, so. what doesn't happen yeah. you are a, an accomplice you're yeah. part of it and i were like he is through and through a very violent criminal mm-hmm. and like you said he he like preys on people mm-hmm. and he maybe has some kind of personal vendetta against them or something it's like she like fed into his aggression you yeah. know what i mean like he just she I don't know. It's like she was like, yeah, you know what? Your mom fucking deserves to die. She's mm-hmm. going to offer you $20. Fuck her or right. whatever, you know, or this guy doesn't want to support you selling drugs to all these bar patrons. Go kill him. Yeah. Or like whatever dehumanizing the victims because I could be totally wrong of what he did am. or what he wanted to do or how he yeah. felt wronged. And it's just God, it doesn't make sense. You don't you're not you don't you can scare a woman enough to run away. Yeah. To scare a woman enough to that point and she stays, that's a special that's type terrifying. of woman yeah. where she's okay with it, yeah. in my opinion. And again, I will reiterate, totally speculatory, but yeah. speculative. God damn it. I said speculatory again. Okay. It's a real <laughs> word. It's now a real word. <laughs> Thank you. We both used it. <laughs> I want to know, did they find his semen in Tassie? Did they find those shoes, yeah. those black boots that killed George? Did they find... Anything else beyond a shoe print and a minor motive in the family's murders. Both, like, valid things. Right. But I wonder if anything else was truly found. Since he didn't, like, I mean, to not admit your... That's what kills me about some of these criminals, like, that you know did it, that you mm-hmm. know whatever. Like, um, who is it from Mindhunters? Um, the shoe fetish slayer. Who, oh, like, yeah doesn't admit to anything he's like well i didn't do that well i didn't do this yeah it's like why not just give these families like you're already in prison you're already on death row just give these families and that's the thing he never admitted guilt right and so it makes you second guess it's Mm -hmm. like did he really do it but it's also like yeah he did like yeah it's most likely that he did and of course he's not gonna admit it but then it's like you got this woman over here I'm not saying he didn't do it, but I'm wondering 
the coercion. Right. Does that make sense? Well, the effort on his part. Right. Yeah. And like her effort putting into him doing it. I wonder if she coerced him. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying he is is innocent by right. any means because clearly he isn't. No. He did this. But just like your last situation was, was it Susan? Yes. Yes. Did she? Yes. But what was the motive? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. What spurred on the whole thing? But I feel like you look at the violent nature of this crime and how it seems it's it's so mm-hmm. violent and it's not quick and easy. There obviously is a gun present. Mm-hmm. So it could have been quick and easy or a strangulation, which isn't quick, but it's it's you it's can dehumanize your victim but, but like i also think it's more personal because it's like you're you looking think? at that person you're strangling that person for minutes See, on i end. think from behind i think if you do it from behind you can dehumanize them Correct. Enough. yes i agree but with him like we don't know beating the baby and stomping people in it's like that is so undoubtedly personal that I could see it killing to him. I could see killing the bartender, mm-hmm. or night stalker, whatever. Because you you don't have a but, personal right. Yeah, exactly. You're fucked up on cocaine. Mm-hmm. You're like, God, I just need to get this money. And this get guy's out of in here. my way. Right. I don't care. But to like you said, even strangle some from, someone from behind, that's still an effort. Yeah, it physically. Is. You're, you're touching you them. You're basically know. hugging them to death. Right. You still know who they are. This is my cousin. This is my niece. This is my whoever. And then a child mm-hmm. to beat them over the head with an exercise bar? Go fuck off. Yeah. That's not okay. Nope. I don't think that, personally, I don't know, but I don't think that cocaine will do that to you. That's what I wrote. I wrote Coke equals violent, and then I started writing question mark, and I just mm-hmm. kind of scribbled. But it's... Back to the Christmas episode. Yeah. It was weed and cocaine for those guys. They didn't kill anyone. Cocaine I'm sorry. Cocaine does not do coke. Crack cocaine is probably a different beast. Right. Yes. But in, like, I don't. I don't. I don't I know think about of that. the, uh, from what I, I know about know. those drugs, and I'm probably wrong. Cocaine, I know. But crack cocaine, like, I, I think of it as, like, a drug that lasts in spurts, you know? You you get a 20 to 30 minute high. I don't know. And personally. that's it. So. But, I mean, the bodies were found that day. The common law husband, Ronald, or mm-hmm. whatever, he came home and found them that day. So it wasn't, like, a week's worth of time went by. Right. They arrested and indicted him immediately. Yeah. So testing and whatnot could have been done. Yeah. So it's, like... If it's going to linger in your system, it'll be there. Right. And I didn't read anything about that, but I just don't think that, I don't think that that's how that works. No. <laughs> Drug wise. Yeah. I just don't think that that's a thing. But but then again, Victoria, like she kind of, no. she sealed his fate. Right. And so it's like. Twice. <laughs> I hate her. She's terrible. She could have called the cops. She could have driven away. She could have ran. I don't know. She could have done something and gotten help. And at least, like, she testified. Cool. That's great. <coughs> but, like, put in a little more effort to maybe try to help. I don't know. I don't know. But that that makes me think, like, all right, she's there. She described hearing the baby. She described hearing Tossie. Like, she's close enough to hear all that. So this happened. It really happened. This fucking asshole did it. I I just think that... He did kill George. He killed the family. But I think this woman is leaving stuff out on her probably. part. On her part. On her, like, right. involvement. Absolutely. Exactly. And she was probably at it, like, plea bargain, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, And that's why that, whatever. that shit. Yeah. They got this confession out of her, but 
is she possibly a dangerous criminal that got off? I don't know. I recommend, I will put this uh, link in the show notes. It is a really great article about eyewitness testimony. And I've briefly, again, (laughs) did I talk about this and edit it out or not? Mm -hmm. About criminal testimony, about how like Mm -hmm. 40% is bullshit. Yeah. Well, this article says since the 1990s, when DNA testing first became introduced into um, criminal testimony and actual like trial testimony, the innocence innocence project researchers have reported that 73 percent of 239 convictions overturned through dna testing were based on eyewitness testimony wow that's too close to 100 percent. oh wow that's scary dude so it's like it says one third of these overturned cases rested on the testimony of two or more mistaken eyewitnesses. Oh. I don't think this woman is mistaking her boyfriend's identity by no. any means. And she could have been battered <clears throat> and scared and that's why she didn't do anything. Or but she also- could have been fucked up on drugs or she could have been a piece of shit. Oh my. We'll never know. God, 73%. Exactly. That's why it's so scary. Like, I think about it all the time. If I got implicated on some crime that mm. I wasn't involved in, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, I could go to jail forever. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Why would you want to stay with a girl who has testified against you twice? Yeah. I think that's dumb. But at the same time. Drug addicts. Like, we've talked, we've asked this so many times, you know, people are stupid. And if she's dumb enough to be with him after killing people, then why couldn't he be dumb enough to stay with someone after she ratted him out? Yep. So it kind of goes both ways. It does. Anyways. Um, think for yourself. That's all I have to say about those two losers. Poor, poor, poor Ronald Boone, who lost his family and had to be the one to find them. To all the women, Leona, Libby, Reba, and Tassie, whose lives were cut short because of this asshole of a man. I'm truly sorry, and I hope you're at peace. This was a terrible situation, literally over 20 bucks or barely more literally um victoria i hope that if you are innocent then you're doing great but if you are guilty in some shape or form you're rotting away exactly and it's eating at you every single day of your life yep we're done well murder is over thank you guys for listening we hope you enjoyed this episode even though we rambled a little bit but we still talked about important cases um Please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Helps us out a lot. Oh my god, I just burped. Um, and please check out our social media for photos on these cases. Yes. Links to our sources will be in the show notes if you guys want more information. Please go read the article that I uh, referenced about eyewitness testimony. It's very enlightening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really try and push this stuff, but this is really important. In case you're just cash on a jury or your friend commits a murder, please go read this. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with more Texas True Crime. And if anyone's listening, happy, happy Halloween. Halloween. <laughs>